constantly going to the priests in penitence and repentance, repenting every single sin that he had committed, to a point where the priest would actually tell him, go and commit an actual sin and then come and repent. Is the reason perhaps why you and I are here today. Is the reason perhaps why there is none in our midst that is wearing a rosary. Is the reason why you and I are Protestants. His name is Martin Luther. That <coughs> and Martin Luther was so grieved by the idea of the righteousness of God and the holiness that God demanded. And he knew he could not attain it. He tried by all means and you read his biography and he said if monkery could take anyone to heaven then he was the first to go there. They covered themselves with two blankets, he covered himself with one. They fasted once a week, he fasted three times. If it's in terms of severity to the body, he was most severe to his own body and yet every time his conscience kept condemning him, he fell short every time. And one day, he stumbles upon this one in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. And he reads there that the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel and this righteousness is by faith from first to last. And there Martin Luther actually says it is as though his soul was lifted to the heavens. He was freed from them all. And from there, the tide of events happened. The 95 pieces were hung at the door at Wittenberg. The information happened. And now you and I are here, saved by grace alone, through faith alone. <coughs> this righteousness, Paul argues, later quoting Habakkuk, is by faith from first to last. Meaning, faith will save you. Faith will sustain you. Faith will bring you home. We begin by faith. We walk by faith. And we will end by faith. Nowhere in between do we add anything other than faith. And so as we talk about beyond sight this evening, I want us to have that at the back of our minds. I thought this was a timer. So I'm like, do I have three minutes left? Like, have I spoken already for 40 minutes? <clears throat> now, as we look at beyond sight, this evening, I want us to realize that there are certain definitive moments in our lives that will completely change the trajectory of our lives. These defining moments will usually be marked by a step taken, a choice that is made, a decision that you will perhaps make. And in the 1940s, there were two evangelists that shot up like a star. And there was something about them that made the people around them to speculate that surely these two individuals would greatly influence the world. 
But it was one of them that was considered to be the most gifted of the two that people would look and say, this one actually would completely overturn the world with the gospel. And you've probably never heard his name. His name is Charles Templeton. The other one, you probably know, his name is Billy Graham. But how come you know of Billy Graham and you don't know of Charles Templeton? It is because Billy Graham continued on as an evangelist and eventually reached millions with the gospel of Christ while Charles Templeton abandoned the faith and became an agnostic. To the best of my knowledge, I'm not so sure he died having restored his relationship with Christ. <coughs> and how come this happened? It all boils down to a significant moment in their lives when both needed to make a choice. And so this is an excerpt from a book that Charles Templeton wrote in his old age, recounting a conversation that he had had with Billy Graham when they were younger. And he says, All our differences came to a head in a discussion which, better than anything I know, explains Billy Graham and his phenomenal success as an evangelist. In the course of our conversation, I said, but Billy, it's simply not possible any longer to believe, for instance, the biblical account of creation. The world was not created over a period of days a few thousand years ago. It has evolved over millions of years. It's not a matter of speculation. It's a demonstrable fact. I don't accept that. Billy said, and there are reputable scholars who don't. Who are these scholars? I said, many conservative Christian colleges? Most of them, yes, he said. But that is not the point. I believe that Genesis account of creation because it's in the Bible. I've discovered something in my ministry. When I take the Bible literally, when I proclaim it as the word of God, my preaching has power. When I stand on the platform and say, God says, or the Bible says, the Holy Spirit uses me. There are results. Why some men than you or I have been arguing questions like this for centuries? I don't have the time or the intellect to examine all sides of the theological dispute. So, I've decided once for all to stop questioning and accept the Bible as God's word. But Billy, I protested, you cannot do that. You don't dare stop thinking about the most important question in life. Do it and you begin to die. It's intellectual suicide. I don't know about anybody else, he said. But I've decided that that's the path for me, said Billy Graham. This is an excerpt from a book written by Charles Templeton, himself titled, Farewell to God. I don't know about anybody else, but I've decided that that's the path for me. And the path that Billy Graham chose is the path of faith. To believe that the Bible is God's word and everything contained in it is true. <coughs> Faith, that is what made the difference. But also this faith, as I argue, we'll be looking at a character study on the subject of faith, is what made the difference between 
two sons of Adam, Abel and Cain. And these two brothers had probably grown up under the instruction of Adam and Eve. Perhaps they had been informed about what transpired at the Garden of Eden. And they had been told about the wonderful, um, glorious things that the parents had enjoyed before the fall. And perhaps as they heard the story and they imagined their current situation that was completely different from the perfect picture that was painted for them of the Garden of Eden where the parents had all the trees they wanted to eat from where they enjoyed the kind of peace that could only be enjoyed in that garden. Peace with God, peace with the environment, peace with each other, peace with self. But now all of that had been affected. Perhaps as they had all that, the question that begs therefore is how would they each view and relate with God? As each heart about the fact that once upon a time God had placed us in the garden of Eden. He had given us of everything to eat apart from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day we ate of it Everything came to a standstill. Everything was destroyed. How would they be and relate with God as they had that? And the Bible records that one day the time came when they each brought a sacrifice to God. Came being a worker of the ground brought an offering from the ground, and Abel, a keeper of sheep, brought the first fruits of his flock and the fat portions. God approved of Abel's sacrifice and did not approve of Cain's. This is how the Bible reads Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 to 5. I'm reading from a very recent. Uh, version of the NIV. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, there have been various theories presented as to why God approved Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. Some people claim that Abel's sacrifice was approved because it was an animal sacrifice. That there was shedding of blood. Others claim that Abel offered the best of his flock. Firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. While Cain just brought an offering of the fruit of ground. Like he just collected terere, managu, kansira. And he just came and presented them to the Lord. Not the best of his produce. Just an offering. And all these theories, though compelling, 
unfortunately are not revealed in the text. They are speculative. We cannot argue with authority that this is the reason why God approved of Adam's sacrifice and did not approve of Cain's sacrifice. The basis of approval was not because of what was in the sacrifice, rather it was in what was in the heart of the one offering the sacrifice. And this is revealed for us in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 6. When the Bible reads, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel's sacrifice was approved because he offered it by faith. And therefore, it was not necessarily what was brought. Rather, it was how it was brought. Faith was the main determining factor, not the flock. Not the vegetables, not the fat portions, but rather the attitude of the heart in presenting the particular sacrifice. And the question that you and I must ask, therefore, is then, what is this faith we are talking about? What is this faith that Abel had and Cain did not have as they presented their offering before the Lord? And to be honest, faith is a concept whose meaning we don't have to sweat about because it is defined for us. I, I, I praise the Lord as a preacher because I don't have to work my mind around figuring this thing so that I can come and try to convince you this is actually what faith means because the Bible defines for us what faith is. And the whole of Hebrews 11 really is aimed at us gaining an understanding of what faith is and grounding our lives on a sure foundation. This chapter is written to encourage believers going through persecution to endure to the end, to hold on by faith to what they have. Actually, this is how chapter 10, verse 32 to 39 reads just before chapter 11 begins. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle, suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion of those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one, shall live by faith. See that? Does it ring a bell? And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So chapter 10 ends like that. And then chapter 11 begins. Now faith is The substance of things, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is this 
faith that he says we have, we are not those that shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their lives. Now, this faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what the author will do in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews is he will define what faith is and then he will demonstrate it. He will explain faith and then give examples of faith. He will introduce us to faith and then illustrate this same faith. And so I believe verse 1 to verse 3 is really an explanation of faith. And from verse 4, we get a demonstration of faith, an illustration of faith, examples of what faith looks like. Abel is one of those examples or demonstrations or illustrations of faith. And he, together with the other individuals mentioned in the text, are ordinary people who simply believed. It is amazing that the people mentioned in the Hebrews Hall of Faith are not necessarily super Christians. They are just ordinary individuals who are made distinct by one factor and one factor alone. In Abel and these others, we ought to find encouragement to keep on believing, to keep on trusting, to keep on having faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That is how later translations will read it. But KJV here is, this is the rare times I like the KJV. Since faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, what this means is that faith translates hope into something sure and makes real that which is unseen. So faith is like a banker's check. If I wrote you a banker's check right now as a student, you know, struggling um, with your daily needs, you know, just affording the bare minimum. Uh, if I wrote you right now a banker's check of 50,000 shillings, you'll be very happy, right? You, you don't have the cash in your pocket, but you have a banker's check that is as sure as having cash. You know all you need to do is walk to the bank and cash it and you have the cash. Faith is like that. It's like a banker's check. It is what makes sure our hope. It is what causes us, in other words, to see the unseen. I like how one preacher puts it, um, an African-American, and I like how African-American preachers have a way with words. And he argues that just as the eyes are the physical organs through which we see the visible things, faith is the spiritual organ through which we see the invisible things. Therefore, beyond sight, we are not those who walk by sight, but walk by faith. We are not those that rely on the physical eyes, these bodily organs, but rather are those that rely on other eyes, the eyes of faith. And therefore, we are able to see beyond the material because we are seeing 
through the eyes of faith. Well, let me attempt an illustration, and I don't know if this illustration uh, will apply to, to many of us, because this is something that probably we just had. We all know about the telephone booth, right? I'm not so sure many of us used it. But once upon a time, before the advent of mobile phones, if, for example, as a young man, you wanted to ask a lady out, um, they were far, um, you probably had a number to their house, you would go to a telephone booth somewhere in town, dial the number, make a call, woe unto you if the mother picks. On a lucky day, the lady may pick, and they're like, hi, so nice, you know, to talk to you. I was wondering whether we could meet for a date on this and this day. I say, yeah, I've been waiting for this call, you know. And you know, he is sure it. Uh, and you agree, you will meet at a specific place, all right? On this date, at this hour. And that is it. You've planned for something two weeks to come, for example. There's no mobile phone to confirm. Are we still on? There's no mobile phone to say, I am running late. If anything happens to them, you don't know. On the material day, you go to the designated place at this exact hour and you Brothers and sisters, if, if, if there is faith, other than that, tell me, if that is not faith. And yet this is the interesting thing. How is it that it is easy for us to make decisions, to take actions, based on the mere fact that we have trusted a fallible human being we have trusted a sinful human being and we have rearranged our entire lives. They may show up, they may not show up. It is just an act of faith when we left the house to the designated place. How is it that we are quick to trust fallible human beings but yet when it comes to God, that is where we draw the line. Why is it? Why is it that we are quick to trust human beings to be honest that fail us more often than not? But this God that is unchanging, in fact, who declares in Malachi, because I am unchanging, therefore you are not consumed. This God, it's harder for us to trust. It's harder for us to put our faith in him. Brothers and sisters, we ought to do better. We ought to do better. Now, when it comes to biblical faith, a few things can be mentioned. First, faith works and is powerful not because of the person expressing the faith, but because of the object of the faith who is called. So faith doesn't work because ah, I am a man of faith. No, that is not the reason why faith works. Faith works because of the person to whom faith is placed on, who is God. So that is why if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it wasn't that he, because of you, 
Christ was trying to show us God is big enough that with your little faith, he is able to do amazing things. Faith is not powerful. Faith does not work because of the person who has faith. Rather, faith works because of the God to whom we place our faith in. That's the first thing to learn about faith. Second, faith is based on two things. If you and I are to go beyond sight, if you and I are to walk by faith and not by sight, then our faith must be based on these two things. And that is what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 points to us. And it reads, Hebrews 11 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not difficult, not rare, not seldom. It is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. One must believe that God exists. Actually, I like again the KJV here. KJV says, because he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that is an interesting language because it closely resembles the language of God introducing himself to Moses. When Moses asks, when the children of Israel ask me who has sent them, who will I say? He says, tell them, I am has sent you. And the Hebrews tells us, those who believe, those who come to God must believe that he is. See that parallel? And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So we must believe, number one, that God exists. We must believe, number two, that God rewards those who seek him. If our faith is to be faith. So in other words, we must be convinced that God is real and that God is a rewarder. We must be persuaded that God is God and that God is good. And when we approach God, whether in worship or in prayer, when we approach God, we must approach Him with a full recognition of His Godness and His goodness. That He is the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, but also that He good. And probably, just probably, this is what Cain lacked when he brought his offering to God. To be honest, unlike you and I, Cain did not have much of a problem doubting God's existence. Um, the text seems to suggest that um, they had a knowledge of God that you and I perhaps don't right now. So I, I highly doubt it is God's existence that Cain doubted. I think probably what Cain doubted is God's goodness, God's fairness, God's justice. Whereas his brother, on the other hand, must have believed God to be good and fair and just, and when he was giving his sacrifice, he had that in mind. He gave his sacrifice with that motivation that this God is good, that this God is fair, that this God is 
just. And I wonder this morning, or rather this evening, if you have faith. I wonder if you are truly convinced that God is real. I wonder if you are truly convinced that God exists. And if you do, and I believe you do, that's why you are here. Um, do you believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him? And you actually persuaded that God rewards those who diligently seek him. That he is good. That he is fair. That he is just. Do you actually believe that? And maybe you do, maybe you do, but in a general sense. But do you believe that God is good to you? Maybe you believe he's good because, yeah, Sibrayo, talking on results, God is good. But, oh, Nabrayo. But do you believe that he is good? <coughs> and you see, the Bible tells us if we don't do that, it means we don't have faith, and therefore we cannot please God. If we don't believe God is true, if we don't believe God is fair, if we don't believe God is just and faithful, if we don't believe that about God, then we don't have faith. And therefore, we can't please God. And I think for a good number of us, and this is a plague for many Christians, we really doubt God's goodness, especially to us. Maybe perhaps because you prayed for something and it didn't happen. How many stories do we hear of atheists who say, I can't believe in that God because I prayed for my father and I really cried to the Lord and yet my father died. For many of us, if we are not careful, we are functional atheists at worst and practical agnostics at best. Functional atheists in the sense that we, we, we totally don't believe God to be good. Practical agnostics in the sense that he is good, yes, but I guess not good to me, not good for me. And maybe you're here and you're on the verge of giving up, praying for that particular thing. You've thrown in the towel and figured, okay, I guess it is what it is. Probably you have, no, this is night. You guys are deep in the world. Probably you have hidden under the sovereignty of God. Yeah, and you claim, but you know, you know, God is sovereign. If, if He has chosen, you know, there's nothing I can do with my prayers. And yet, you're really camouflaging and hiding your own doubts. And hiding under the guise of God's sovereignty. Brothers and sisters, God's sovereignty is what compels us to pray. 
Because he's sovereign can do anything. We plead with him to do this thing that only he can do. God's sovereignty does not lead us not to pray. God's sovereignty pushes us to pray. And anything other than that is not God's sovereignty. It's anything else. And so I don't know what situation you're in. Whatever difficult situation that perhaps you're still waiting on the results for God. My wife is a doctor. And so after her internship, um, she was expectant, and so she did not immediately apply for work. Um, she gave birth to our daughter and then stayed home for that period to take care of her. And we're having conversations because initially her conviction was that she will be at home and praise the Lord as a homemaker, you know, the perfect uh, uh, white evangelical picture of a Christian. Uh, only to realize we took a ground in a different And as we were talking, one year later, um, she came to a place where she was okay to go back to her. Uh, probably one and a half years later. Our daughter is now 17 months. Yeah, one year later, the conversation was settled. Then she was open and she started applying for jobs. She had never applied for a job before. The initial days were devastating because the jobs in brothers and sisters is, is bad. You send CVs and you never get responses. You attend interviews and you never get responses. You don't know how you did, whether you did well or whether you did not. You're praying, Sita Muniambia, do. Kunaiki Kumoja Ukirekebisha, nothing. Not even an apology, sorry, we could not take you, nothing. They just go quiet. And it was devastating. And, 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 and as a husband, and one that God has given the mandate to lead my wife, it was an interesting space to be in, watching especially as her faith was affected. And just being able to walk that journey with her. See, my wife doubt God's goodness because she could not understand how she didn't have a job. You know, it seemed like it's obvious. You know we have a shortage of doctors in this country. And then you keep hearing and then you don't get it. You know, it's, it doesn't even make sense. You know, you doubt yourself then you doubt God and then you're like, no, it couldn't be God. Maybe it's me who is incompetent and that cycle continues. And brothers and sisters, one thing that I saw God do in the heart of my wife, that I pray God will do to you. In your moment of trouble, in your moment of trial, as I told her, you know what? Let's be serious about our devotion to God. And so started doing the same Bible plan together. You know, waking up at the same hour to pray and to read the scriptures. <coughs> The Lord started just helping my wife's heart. Now, in what March? She started applying sometime in September last year. We're in March. She's not yet employed. But my wife is happier than before she had given birth to our daughter. She's happier now. Why? She found her joy in God. 
Now, if my wife finds that job, that job will not be an idol. Because already God has her. But God allowed for hard work that journey. And God helped her through that journey. And yes, though God has not answered. And, and it's not like I am not longing for my wife to get that job. Hey, my finances are horrible. <laughs> Do you know what it means to have the salary of a doctor in the house? Hmm? Right now I would have bought you pizzas, but hey, you don't have, you don't have that salary. When she starts working, please hold me accountable. Ask me for, for those pizzas, okay? So, I don't know what your situation is. Do you actually trust in God's goodness? And I want to encourage you, perhaps who is in a situation like that, delay is not denial. Although God seems to have delayed, He has not necessarily denied you. And in the fullness of time, He will make all things beautiful. I have three minutes and 20 pages of notes. So let me see how I will rush through this. But I want to exhort you as well, not to let your circumstances cause you to lose faith. Do not let your present predicament cause you to charge God with wrong. He is still God and he is good. And if we don't believe that, then we cannot please him. And so when we come before the presence of God, either in prayer or in worship, despite what we are going through, we must be like Job who proclaimed, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Job 13, 15. We must be like Habakkuk, who was quoted by Paul saying the just shall live by faith, who argues later on in chapter 3, verse 17 to 18, that though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no heart in the stores, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We must purpose in our hearts to yet praise God for his goodness even when it doesn't seem that we have experienced the goodness. God is not good because he has done good to us. Rather, God does good to us because he is good. And we must never confuse the two. And therefore, we must believe that God is good, that he exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. Let us be convinced of this truth. And it is in that realization that Abel worshipped God aright and offered his sacrifice by faith. Later, what happens as a result of this faith is that Abel was commended by God as righteous. It was his faith that was considered as righteousness. And this has been the thread throughout the scripture. It is not what you do, but rather what you believe that makes you righteous. What you believe is what gives you a right standing with God. That is what it means to be righteous, to have a right standing with God. God. 
or in the other, in other words, to be on the right side of God. Cain unfortunately lacked faith and as a result was unrighteous. In fact, this is what John does. He makes a scathing indictment of Cain in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. And says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Those who lack faith are of the devil. That is what John argues here. And the murder of his brother followed his faithlessness, as we will later see. Okay? Bible argues, I believe it's Romans 14, 23, everything done without faith is sin. And so when God is having the conversation with Cain, he's asking, why has your countenance fallen? And he says, sin is crouching at your door. He desires to master you. Okay? And later, we actually see this sin take its full effect when he murders his brother Cain. And so faithlessness is not an innocent thing. Everything done without faith is sin. And that is where faithlessness ultimately leads us. It leads us in completely evil deeds because everything done without faith is sin. Prayers offered without faith is sin. Praise offered without faith is sin. Worship offered without faith is sin. Giving offered without faith is sin. Studies done without faith is sin. Everything done without faith is sin. And you and I, who are New Testament believers, ought to be those that walk by faith and not by sight. And as Jesus told Thomas, do you believe now because you see, blessed are those, though they don't see, yet they believe. And so the word will tell us that seeing is believing. But the scriptures will tell us believing is seeing. Beyond sight. And so, we conclude our time together by me encouraging us to consider what is in our hearts and urging us from today to see to be the one that is led by faith, to be the one that walks by faith. But perhaps your faith is feeble. The best place to start is like the father of that boy that was demon-possessed after Jesus is coming from the Mount of Transfiguration. And after an exchange with Jesus, he says, if you can do anything, you know, help my boy. Jesus said, if I can do anything, anything, everything is possible for all those who believe. And the father cries out and says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. <coughs> but that is your state. You believe and yet you don't. You are in an interesting paradox right there like that, Father. I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Perhaps it's to go before God and ask that he helps you. But two is to purpose from today. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. To purpose from today to consume God's word, to put yourself in situations where you're constantly hearing God's word because faith will be built up in you on account of God's word. And that will 
brothers and sisters, you will be able to not only reckon that God exists, but also that God is a rewarder, even in moments when it doesn't look like that in your life. That has been the journey of the saints throughout the ages. That will be the journey of the saints till the end of the ages. And that is what God is calling us to. Not to live our lives as a result of that which we can see with our naked eyes, but to live our lives through that which we can see through our spiritual eyes, which is faith. And I pray that the Lord will help us to this end, for his glory and for our good. Shall we pray? And so we thank you, our Father and our God. The scripture tells us that we ought to cast our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be those that are able to do that. Our gaze continuously on Christ, the one that began our faith, the one that perfects our faith. Lord, I pray for anyone here who whose faith has been shaken. I pray like that, Father, you would help them overcome their unbelief. But also, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to value your word. For faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. <coughs> and so, because you say this is the one to whom I look upon with favor, he who is contrite in heart and trembles at my word. Lord, I pray that you would grant us trembling before your word. That like Ezra of old, we will devote ourselves to study your word. We will devote ourselves to obey your word and we will devote ourselves to teaching your word. And so would you help us to that end? For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Amen. Amen. Um, yeah, teacher. So I must ask for to have So So find yourself an accountability partner 
still has more penirex, but it will be better come on penirex. That is what he said on Thursday. So come on, come on, that we want to have minutes. So yes, so have accountability partners. Um, oh, he has also asked us to send our prayer items, Mapema, to your at least as compile, a compiler, group. You go through them and you pray about it as you go through your day. And then another announcement is about the instruments. We all know that what we do are instruments. Yes, the other announcement is about the instruments. Um, in the same one, in the same one, group. So the, the, method, the payment method will be communicated. Yes, will be communicated soon. So, so yes, so let's, let's pray about it. Yes, instruments are quite good. Allow others to 